So, oh man, hold on, my cat's crawling in my audio rack. <laughs> hey, dude, sorry, hold on a second. This guy's lodged the. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. The show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know where to begin or want to find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm Live programs in LA, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here on the Art of Charm. We'll also send you the fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, and a lot of stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. We have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from India, the US, the UK, and Brazil. Speaking of India, of course, details on those at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or give us a call here in the office, or you can even email me I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Ramit Sethi. He is an awesome cat, man. He is just a high performer. He teaches other people how to be high performers. He's got a website, I will teach you to be rich. It's not scammy financial BS. It's really actionable advice. I really love every show that I do with this guy. He came on years and years ago in the beginning of the Art of Charm podcast and only a couple of times since. We're gonna talk about why VIPs actually want you to succeed. We're gonna talk about the myth of the naturally good networker and how we started off as awkward souls as well, how you can achieve success without an amazing academic background, how people can get started if they don't have money, and last but not least, of course, plenty of actionable advice to take your networking and social skills to the next level. Enjoy this one with Ramit Sethi. I love your like smug new headshot, man. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I chose that on purpose. <laughs> I know, I know that you did. That's why I said so because I'm like, I know he just like looked at that and went, "Oh yeah, this is like, the this, one. This is the voice. This is the guy whose voice is in that email being like, "Ah, oh, quit crying." You know, <laughs> that's the guy. And uh, oh, by the way, speaking of pitches and and networking and stuff, somebody mailed me a book. I kind of hate when people do that because I'm not going to be like, oh. Awesome, I needed something to do for three days. I have nothing going on. And then I feel kind of obligated because that author's like, hey, did you read my book? And I'm like, no, dude, no, I didn't even open it. Like, I didn't even open the note that is, oh, yeah, there's a note you wrote in there that just fell out. Like, it's not in the envelope. This person sent me a book. They highlighted all the important stuff in the book, and they put those little flags in there, like, you yes. know, from college. And there's a note that's like, hey, this book's philosophy is uh, – the cornerstone of my company's approach. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And there's all these lines in there like, hey, Jordan, check this out. Oh, check out page 26. This relates to blah, blah, blah that you're doing. I'm obviously going to read this now. Oh, my God, I love it. I know. I've never had that happen. And I thought, okay, this is a person who gets it. They understand that like 
this book represents, I can either read this or make like tens of thousands of dollars for the art of charm in the same amount of time. I'm not going to read this. Now I'm going on a plane. I'm going to blow through this in 40 minutes. I love it. So thoughtful. Um, what, you know, you talk a lot about networking. You talk a lot about a lot of different areas. I want to focus on that because people friggin' love that. And a lot of obje the objection I've been hearing lately in email and, and sort of privately is that, well, you know, that's great. And you give these examples of like Mark Cuban and the guys on Shark Tank and other businessmen that everybody knows. But of course they have huge networks because they're these big successes. And I kind of want to see if you agree slash myth bust the idea that you cash a check for a million dollars and then suddenly people are like, hey, do you want to be a part of this network of, of richly developed individuals? It doesn't work like that. What comes first? It's a chicken egg thing, right? Like, does the network come first or does the success come first? I think the mentality comes first of knowing that there's a place and a time for everything and that when you're starting off, you don't have access to billionaires, but billionaires, millionaires, CEOs, authors, they're all people. And if you can add value to the people around you and one level higher than you right now, then you can add value to people two levels higher than you. And you move up and move up and you continue bringing the people around you with you as you move up. So the two are inextricably tied and the more successful you get, the bigger your network is almost certainly going to get. But if you try to aim too high right now, like if you try to reach out to Mark Cuban, that's pointless. What, what are you going to do? If you have dinner with him, you have nothing to talk to him about. Hey bro, how'd you, how was it to sell that company to Yahoo? Who cares? If you're some guy who has no online impact, you're not an author, I mean, why would he take that meeting? That, that displays a fundamental lack of understanding of what Mark Cuban values. He doesn't need to talk to some random guy who's like, hey, give me a big break, come on, bro. Like, that's not how it works. But at the same time, you definitely want to be helping out the people around you. Notice I'm not talking about helping out a billionaire. I'm saying help the people around you. And if you can help the people around you and maybe one level higher, as you start to help them, they're going to open up their network. And now you're going to move to get access to people two levels higher than you. And three. And that's how it works. And that's the super unsexy truth, which is if I had tried to go and interview Mark Cuban or, or you know, do something with Bill Gates when I was starting out, it would have been impossible. I would have been punching above my weight. So a lot of people do that. And then when it doesn't work, because it will never work, they're like, ah, this networking thing is complete bullshit. The truth is that they set themselves up for failure. So it's less sexy, less glamorous, but actually effective to look at the people around you and say, how can I help you? Oh, wow, my professor is talking about this. Let me introduce him to this other guy who just wrote this article in Fast Company. Oh, wow, my friend who's starting a company needs help with this retail advice. Oh, I just happened to read this other book. Let me set up an introduction. That is value. And that's how you move up the value chain. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of the advice I give on the show, for example, is connecting people to other people in their network. Nobody wants you to try to connect somebody with somebody that you can't reach out to. And I know you must get this too, where someone's like, hey, do you want me to reach out for this person, to this person on your behalf? And you're like, do you know them already? Because if not, then absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, why, why would I want an introduction to someone that, I mean, I could just go directly to them if you don't know them. However, I think it's super valuable. Like this just happened to me yesterday. Someone said, Hey, Ramit, I noticed you've been talking about X a lot, but there's some guy you haven't mentioned. And I happened to have him on my show the other day. Would you be interested in having me set up an introduction? 
That was extremely valuable to me because first of all, I didn't know about this guy. Second, he provided me a little snippet of why he would be helpful to me. And then third, he offered to make the introduction. Because this guy's in a pretty good place, that's that's really using your social capital to help two people. So if I end up asking this guy to come join me on my site or my emails or whatever, this guy's going to get a ton of exposure. I'm going to get to meet him, which I probably value. And so it's a win-win-win for everybody. And to me, I think of it like hosting a party. You host a party, you bring people together who probably don't know each other. You know, maybe some people start dating or maybe some people do a business deal. Guess who they're going to remember forever? You. And I didn't have to do anything manipulative, nothing sleazy. I didn't have to have a million dollars to host that party. But I carefully thought about bringing the right people together and then doing an amazing introduction. And that's one of the things I learned from my friends, how to do an amazing introduction. And when you do that, good things happen. So it's almost like it's curation, essentially. Definitely. Definitely. Nobody needs an overwhelming list of 50 people they could get introduced to. The best thing I could do, for example, to add value to you, if we didn't know each other, and I was like, I really like this guy's podcast, I love what Jordan's doing, and I really listened to everything you're talking about, and you made an offhand comment about, you know, I've been uh, working on my personal style, and I, I really enjoy dressing better, and you happen to know the guy who styles Tom Cruise, in fact, he's your buddy, or you happen to know someone who's just a great stylist, they're not a celebrity stylist, you say, hey, Jordan, I noticed you mentioned something in episode 42 And, uh, you know, if you're interested, I'd love to set you up with my friend. He's a stylist and he, in fact, he took a look at some of your clothes and here's a couple of recommendations he made. If you're interested, he's in the LA area. And if not, totally understand that is curated value right there. That's awesome. And that, and I'm trying not to sound like I'm complaining about the intros I get, because don't get me wrong. If someone's like, hey, I read this book and it's awesome, I'll, I'll tell them, reach out to the author and introduce me. That's different because an author gets value from that. Not, hey, do you want me to see if, if uh, a Barack Obama will come on your show? I'll just shoot him an email. That's not going to work. And I know that that might actually harm my chances of somebody higher up if they keep hearing about me from people that they don't find valuable. But you're talking about the difference between something like, hey, Jordan, check out this guy, Ramit. He's at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Love the show. Send. Like that, I will just, I will never click that link. But if you do tell me something like, hey, Jordan, this guy, he writes for your demo. He's got a very similar load of content. I think you guys might even get along. I know he's sometimes in your town. Would you like me to give you his contact information or reach out and see if you guys can be introduced? I would love that because it saves me legwork and it saves me a weird cold intro. And you can easily say, hey, listen, I'm fans of both of you guys and I see a lot of overlap that, that I don't see because I'm self-absorbed and you don't see because you're busy, right? Yeah, I think this raises the idea of one of the problems I noticed about socially awkward people having been one of those people yes, exactly. <laughs> is, uh, okay, so socially awkward people have two problems. Number one, they're socially awkward. Number two, they don't know they're socially awkward. So for example, you know, you have the guy who rambles on and on and on at work. Now this guy has two problems. First of all, he rambles, so nobody wants to be around this guy. But second, he literally cannot recognize the signs. People will be blatantly looking at their watch. I mean, they're starting to play a game on their phone while this guy's talking to him, and he just doesn't pick up the signs. So if you're sending an email to Jordan, and you're like, hey, bro, meet Ramit, uh, I could introduce you, send, and then he doesn't reply. So there's two problems there. One, you sent an email that was relatively pointless, right? You didn't add much value. 
That's fine. We all make mistakes. I've sent hundreds of emails like that. Most of us don't learn from our mistakes. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. The, the second thing is be the guy or the girl who learns from their mistakes. So if you're socially awkward, that's fine. That's a skill you can learn. I teach that myself. So does Jordan. Understand and pay attention to the signals that something is not working. For example, if you're the one who always rambles, look at the people faces around you as you're talking. This is something I learned when I was in my early 20s. I mean, I would be the guy who talked on and on and on. And I finally realized, man, something feels a little weird. People would like be rolling their eyes at each other when I started talking. They would say stuff like, so what, what's the point of what you just said? Because I would have just talked myself into a circle. Oh my God. It was horrible. And I started to listen and say, okay, something's not working. Once I recognized the signs, then I could improve. So for you, if you're sending emails and no one's responding, don't blame the world. Look in the mirror. Say, maybe my emails are bad. Maybe my strategy is wrong. Maybe I'm punching too far above my weight. What can I do to fix it? And if you take that constructive approach, that's how you can dramatically improve. You know, how do we know if someone doesn't reply just because they're busy or because we send something useless and not worthy of a response? Okay, love this question because I think there's so much confusion around it. All right, if you're emailing a busy person, you have to put yourself in their mind. And I really mean it very deeply. So if you email them Friday night, um, hey, you know, I'd love to introduce you to something, you're probably not going to get a reply. This person's busy. Actually, I'll talk about a friend of mine who's much more influential, and he gets emails like this. It's like, hey, man, if you're ever in D.C., uh, would love to take you out to uh, you know, a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. And my friend emailed me, and he's like, this betrays a complete lack of understanding about busy people. Yes. Busy people have tons. They know people in every city. They don't, they don't want to go out with some rando for coffee unless there's a value exchange happening. Now, if the person had said, hey, I know a chef, I know you happen to love, you know, Malaysian food, and my friend is from Malaysia and would love to make you a blah, blah, blah dish, now that's value. Oh, man. So, so check this out. When it comes back to the busy stuff, I think it's okay to actually reping once. So like this just happened to me last week. Uh, one of my students who's a good, very top star student, he, and we've met before, he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town, um, you know, would love to go out and da-da-da. And I know this guy, I have a relationship with him. But I didn't see the email because I was swamped with other stuff. So he re-pinged me and he said, and he replied to the original email so I didn't have to go look for another email. That's critical. Right, my favorite. Did you get my last email? Dude, I'm not searching my inbox for emails from you. I'm not searching it. I'm going to delete it. So he was thoughtful. He looked at what it's like to get you know almost 2,000 emails a day. And he said, hey, just replying to this email, totally cool if you're too busy but just wanted to make sure this didn't get buried in your inbox. And then I want to teach everybody this little technique that I taught my students. This is one of the best things you can do in your emails for busy people. It is an acronym that we use internally at I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I know where you're going with this. I love this. I, I'm getting so excited right now. Okay. This simple technique, it's just three letters. It cut down on my email by about 30 to 35%. And it just goes like this. I'll send somebody on my team, hey, Chris, um, just wanted to check on the status of this. Make sure that you're talking to Danielle about that. NRN, no reply needed. Now, what does this do? I don't want my inbox filled up with things like, thanks, <laughs> yep. cool. I don't want it. 
And when you first hear someone say NRN, it can sound a little abrupt. In fact, even the people that work with me, they send something to me and they'll just say, FYI, NRN. I don't take it as if it's rude. It's actually respectful because we can communicate crisply and then you never need to say anything again. So if you're emailing a busy person, this is what you can do. It's like magic. Busy people always have everyone trying to get a piece of them, piece of their time, piece of their network. And when you meet someone who actually doesn't want something from you, you're like, oh my God, I love this person. So the next time you email someone who's a little busier than you, someone who you're trying to build a relationship with, you could say, hey, Ramit, here's an interesting article. I know you're looking into you know, the world of whatever, and I noticed that you wrote about this. Here's another perspective on it. Pay special attention to the third paragraph where he says, blah, 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 which supports your idea. Here's the link. No reply needed. Hope you have a great weekend. The no reply needed. Can you just imagine what a busy person feels when they see that? They're like, ah. Right. Because you're, you're basically saying, by the way, there's no monkey on your back to like deal with this email. It's just, I'm leaving it on your doorstep and I expect nothing in return. And you know, what's funny is I don't know about you, but if somebody sends me, I get stuff like this, like, hey, I'm a single dad. I heard this episode on masculinity. It changed the way that I deal with these things with my daughter. I love this. I've shared the show with everyone. No reply necessary. I will reply to that. I will reply to that because I love those emails. Uh, But you'd be surprised. The people who send those will say no reply necessary. And then someone's like, hey, man, XYZ thing I need from you. I know they won't write NRN because what they want is the reply. They want me to send them free advice. They want me to coach them on something because they, they can't even search for this on the website. If we're talking about respecting people's time, if someone says, I listened to this episode about this and I listened to this other thing about this and I read your article on this subject, but I still have this one burning question, it shows that you've read the resources that are freely available and you still have a question. A lot of times those questions, those points, those arguments are very intelligent and they require me to shore it up because if you get one email about something, what does that mean? Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Like 500 people are thinking the exact same thing. I want to reply to that. There's actual value there too, especially if you're talking about shoring up arguments. It's when you show the lack of respect. And I'm totally with you when someone says like, hey man, you know, do you want to grab a drink? Yeah, I'd love to grab a drink with all 10,000 people who emailed me this year to do that, but it's impossible because otherwise we can't create the things that we're looking at right now that brought you here in the first place. I think a lot of people listening right now are still like, yeah, that's fine, but I I still don't really understand. I don't have any money. I don't have any connections. I'm nobody. I'm going to launch a podcast in three months. I just wanted you to be my first guest on there. How do we start reaching out to people if we don't have network, we don't have influence, we don't have dollars behind us? All right. First of all, let's deconstruct some myths about being successful. And then we're going to talk about what to do if you're launching a podcast or a book, et cetera. There's a classic myth that I'm as guilty of as anyone, which is if I just get Jordan, if I just get Ramit, if I just get a Tim Ferriss on my podcast to blurb my book, to write a guest post, then I will make it. And that is a very singularly wrong view of success. It's the idea that one person is going to make or break you. If you're pinning all your hopes for success on one person, then you're already doomed. A much better route to take would be to say, how can I think about who my audience is? How can I help them? And as I grow and grow and grow, it's going to become undeniable that I will be able to reach 
influential people and get them to join me on my podcast and read my book, etc. You know, I was reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book the other day, his book about bodybuilding. He was talking about you lift so heavy that it is undeniable your muscles will grow. And I love that concept. It is undeniable I will be successful if I just do these right things. For example, if I want to lose weight, it is undeniable I will lose weight if I simply show up to the gym three times a week and do any exercise program on the internet. It's undeniable. For you launching your podcast or launching a book or whatever, pinning your hopes on one person is a very dim dream. First of all, it's probably not going to happen when you start off. And if that discourages you, good. You should give up because you don't deserve the right to be successful if you're pinning your dreams on something else. If you're pinning your dreams on saying, I'm going to be successful because I'm going to slowly, deliberately, methodically help people and understand that this is not a one-time thing. This is going to happen for months and years before maybe Jordan will answer my email. Now you're talking. Now you're the kind of person who understands what it takes to be successful. The next part of that is, I'll just get specific with my own needs. You know, people are like, oh, like Ramit, you know, I don't have a lot of money. Guess what? I don't need your money, okay? I already turned down millions of dollars a year by not allowing people with credit card debt to join my flagship programs. I certainly don't need you to donate 20 bucks to me or, or buy me coffee. I would appreciate it, but I don't need it. What is valuable to me? This is what it takes to get inside the mind of someone you want to connect with. So let's actually just take five seconds and think about it. If you were reading my stuff, you're reading I Will Teach You To Be Rich, maybe it's my material on finding a dream job, maybe it's my material on starting an online business or even personal finance, what do you think would be valuable to me? It's probably not you know, sending me a check for a hundred bucks. Okay, that would be nice, but that's not needed. I'll still take it. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm gonna cash that thing. Okay, for me, if you read my stuff, you know that I love to hear my students' successes. I love it, it drives me. So when people send me a note, this is the absolute best kind of note. They're like, you know, Ramit, I heard your site. I thought it was kind of weird and scammy. I heard you on a couple podcasts, picked up your book. Oh my God, I was sold. And then I used your dream job material and I got a $28,000 raise. In fact, here's the pay stub that I got. And here's a picture of me, you know, with my boss. And I, it's allowed me to let my wife work at home, stay home with the kids, da, 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 da. To me, that is the most rewarding thing that I can get. It's worth more than $5,000 to me. Yeah. So, so that's for me. It's different for everyone. Now, if I have a lot of people that sent me notes like that, and we now built a relationship. And if I'm in a different city, I'm going to say, hey, what's up? Let's grab a drink. That is a great way to build a relationship by showing busy people that you took their advice and you actually followed through and got results. That's one of the best things you can do. Instead of looking for some twisted trick to, to get in the same room with someone where you're just going to be one of a million other people, just do the hard work. Listen to what they say. Do everything they say and write them back telling them what worked, where you're stuck, and what your plan is to get over getting stuck. That is more valuable than any amount of money you could send them. That plus an iTunes review is my, my dream email. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, back to Ramit. You know, I, I love that concept as well because it, it's funny. Did you actually get a recent email like that? Because I got one this week. A guy got a 20% raise because his boss is like, I noticed you've been a lot more proactive just listening to AOC and running through some of the drills we do. You got a 20% raise, which it sounds, if you don't do the math in your head, you're like, meh, this guy worked at a big, I don't even know if I should say which company, but it's like a company where you own probably multiple things that they make. So he probably made already like 160 grand a year. And he got That's a 20% awesome. raise, which means that he basically replaced someone's salary in his family and or just paid for a, a new nice car every year and nobody needs to buy a new nice car every year. So he has a crap load more money for a 0% more work. Okay, so actually this raises a great, a great point. I wanna shed some light on what happens at jobs when it comes to raises. Okay, this, this example 
is so true in life. So for most people, they don't even ask for a raise. And if they do ask for a raise, they go about it in a very amateurish way. They'll just go into their boss's office and say, they'll look at the ground. Their feet are like trembling. They're like, so, uh, hey boss, uh, I think I could get a raise. And if someone came into your office and asked you for just like 10 grand, what would you say? Uh, maybe later. Yeah, at, at best. Or what they typically say is, you know, times are really tough or, you know, we have a set budget and we're going to go with our standard cost of living increase. Now, let me tell you what happens behind the scenes. What happens behind the scenes is that a manager has a certain budget for raises. Okay. And let's say that their budget is $50,000. They're going to give most people in their group cost of living because they know that those people are not proactive. They're not going to go anywhere else. And frankly, they're, they don't deserve a major raise. They're doing an adequate job and therefore they will get adequate pay. But what will they do? They'll take the bulk of that 50K, like 40K, and they'll give it to their top performer. This happens all the time to my dream job students because they know how to become the top performer. So meanwhile, everyone else is told, ah, oh, tight budget this year. We're going to have to do more with less, etc." Meanwhile, there's one guy sitting there with almost $4,000 more per month. Nobody knows that this happens. Right, because he's got, yeah, the boss is like, by the way, don't freaking tell anybody that I gave you a raise because I gave Shirley a potted plant. That's exactly it. So how does this relate to life? When everyone else is telling you things like, oh, you know, there's no way you could connect with that guy. That guy will never come on your podcast. Um, you know, you should just be happy with what you have. You need to understand it's very important that you take advice from the people you admire, not just from the people that are around you. So the people around you, like for example, I went to India uh, a couple of years ago and I had started working out and I had gained about 30 pounds and I, I looked good, right? I'd put on muscle. It wasn't like I got fat. I put on muscle. And one of the people I know, he works out and he saw me. He's like, whoa, looking good, looking very good. Now, another person I know there who's very overweight, he took one look at me and said, you're you're very fat. Now, I could have gotten my feelings hurt, but what did I do? I stopped and said, who do I want to listen to? Right. Who's in the position that I want to be in? So if everyone around you is telling you, you know, uh, you should just be happy with cost of living, maybe you need to surround yourself with different people. That's funny. We talk about that all of the time. It's it's like Jim Rohn. You, you know, you, you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. I think even Bill Cosby, who's now been adequately discredited everywhere, uh, says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's absolutely true. And I at first I was like, well, you can't just ditch, you know, your old friends. And no one's asking you to really do that necessarily, although sometimes I do. You find yourself, that's another sort of benefit of networking, right, is you end up going, yeah, I'll hang out with Ramit and Derek in New York, that'd be fun. And then it's like, oh, Lewis House is in town and we're all hanging out. And then it's like, we're back in LA. Oh, you know what? You should do this and you should meet my other buddy. He's got this other business. And you start hanging out with those people and you start becoming more successful, even though you're kind of just doing the same thing you were before, but you have a little bit of input here about this. And somebody helps you with a little thing there. And somebody else makes a little intro to a, a better video guy or recommends a different type of audio equipment for you because he's got a successful show or whatever. And then over the course of months and years, you're just like, what happened? Even if, even if you're not deliberately moving forward, it still happens to you if you surround yourself with the right people. And That's exactly it. Unfortunately, the reverse also happens. If you hang out with a bunch of deadbeats, you can go, what the hell happened to my life? And I get those emails a lot as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I think that um, 
first of all, Guy Kawasaki told me this really interesting thing. Because I think for a lot of us, the question is like, okay, fine, but like, how do I get in those conversations? How do I get in those rooms? And he told me something very counterintuitive and frankly, a little humiliating for me when he told me. So years and years ago, I lived in the Bay Area and I was working on a startup and I went to an event where I was a speaker. I was pretty young, early 20s. And one of the other speakers was Guy Kawasaki, who's pretty well known in the tech world. And after the event, you know, we were sitting next to each other and I said, you know, you mind if I ask you a question? And I said, you know, I want to get more speaking gigs. I want to get more paid speaking gigs like you. What would you recommend for somebody like me? And he kind of looked me up and down. I, I wasn't very well dressed. I was 127 pounds. I was 5'11". I didn't look good, okay? But he looked me up and down and he said, you know, don't worry about getting paid gigs. First, you need to get good at something. When you get good at something, then you'll have more gigs than you know what to do with. Now, for a 24-year-old guy or so, that's a pretty humiliating thing to hear. I mean, I felt very talked down to, felt very condescended to. It's one of those things where you, you feel this thing in the bottom of your stomach, you go to sleep and you wake up and it's the first thing you think about. But after a couple of days, you know, that feeling goes away. And I, I had to admit that he was right. I could play the game of meeting a bunch of people, but that's a false gloss. It's just like one of those, we all know this guy who's like a networker, but he doesn't have anything backing it up. You know, as they say, there's no there, there. Yeah. You come in the room yeah. and he's just like, oh yeah, that guy, he's so cool. He's so nice, but you don't have anything to describe him with. You know, like Jordan, if I were to describe you, I'm like, this guy has um, grown his business. He has a massive podcast. He helps men become better men. I mean, it's very impressive what you do. There are some people who may be in the same room as others, but they don't really have any there there. This was like one of those pivotal moments in life where someone tells you an uncomfortable truth. And so I decided to get really good at what it is I was going to do. And I, you know, learned how to do business. I learned how to do customer research and I grew my business and all that stuff. Now it is so much easier to get access to people when you have a great story and you have some real mastery and success behind you. If I had just been the same 24 year old guy whose goal was to meet people because it was so cool, so cool to be in the same room with these guys. I'm so cool. Taking selfies with them and stuff. Yeah, take it, yeah. Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to go crazy right now. Taking selfies, like, oh, just hanging out with Jordan. Oh yeah, I'm so awesome. Just, just chilling with my bro. Like, those people will plateau. But if you have true mastery, then it is undeniable that you will meet people. Why? Because top performers in one field want to meet top performers in another field. Oh yeah. So yeah. get good. Focus on the mastery first, and all the other rewards will come. That's extremely true. There's there's so many examples, and I'm, of course I can think of like zero of them right now, where somebody schmoozes and networks and gets close to these different circles, and, and there's a lot of resentment around that person, and they're not necessarily being introduced to a lot of people, they're just kind of always around, because there's no there there, right? But the people that are higher than them, it's definitely more much more possible, much more likely that somebody who just comes in and is like a complete ass kicker and just really doing good stuff will completely surpass that level, uh, that person's level, that person's network, because there's so much there. They're so good at what they do that people can't wait. Like, oh man, have you met this guy yet? Oh, you have to meet this guy, man. 
you've got he's in New York. I'm going to make sure you guys hang out. That you get that stuff, right? You get those all emails all the time. But you never get like, oh man, you, did you see that one guy that's at every event? Oh man, he's also in New York. You're like, good, tell me where he is so I can not go to that neighborhood in case I actually, run into him. That's that's actually a really good point that just happened to me uh, two weeks ago. So here's an example of a guy who's a networking guy, but I'm not going to meet him. So I, I went out to a business meeting with a couple of guys, and um, one of the people there said, you know, I really want you to meet meet a couple of my friends. They're here in New York. And I said, oh, okay, well, tell me a little bit about them. And he said, you know, he works at this company and that company, and I'm not sure how you two will be uh, interested in each other, but I just feel like there's something there. Yeah. And, and I said, okay, thank you, and, and guess what happened? So he actually followed up and did send an introduction. And I looked at the email, and I, the guy who introduced me, I kind of know him, but I don't know him that well, and I don't know this other guy at all. And so guess what happened? We went back and forth on scheduling for a couple of emails. And then it was just like, ah, all right, um, I'll let you know when I have some time, right. which is never. Right. If the guy had said, this person can help you solve your billing problems, or this person is an expert at this type of customer acquisition, I would have moved heaven and earth to meet him. But if it's just a cool guy who you should, you should meet, the answer is, I'll do that in another life when I have time. Yeah. So get good at something. What is your story? It takes time to get good. But if you do that, you will have more introductions than you know what to do with. Yeah. Whenever there's a, like a podcasting relevant discussion, someone will say like, Jordan, how do you get the guests for your show? And the answer used to be, I hustle like crazy. I introduce, I introduce myself to everybody. I try to get these assistant to the assistant to the assistant to find somebody who's like on a crappy book tour that will do like any media that they can and then be like, hey, would you mind talking about how this was a pleasant experience and then show the next person sort of like a, for lack of a better word, a resume of people that I've interviewed that didn't hate the experience, right? Mm -hmm. That used to be the way to, that I did it. Now though, when people go, how do you get your guests now? I mean, I noticed you had so-and-so on your show. It's like, uh, I don't know. And then sometimes I'll go and dig and it's it's like, that person will get introduced to me by four or five different people in the network and they'll finally call or email and be like, listen, I normally never do stuff like this. I didn't even know what a podcast was, but I've been introduced to you by this guy and that guy and this woman and then th this woman's assistant and then this other guy who's a huge fan and knows me really well. I can't not talk to you because I'm obviously the only one who's like, didn't get the memo on doing your show. And now we set something up with somebody who would never do another podcast because it's too small time, you know, they're in movies or television or something like that, or an author that's just so sick of media, they want to gouge their eyes out with a spoon, they can't wait to come on The Art of Charm, and it takes all of the work out of my hands. All I have to do is do an awesome show at that point. Yep. And it's totally. huge. It's massively huge. Um, going back to connecting with VIPs and stuff like that, I mean, you and I came from ordinary backgrounds. We were both kind of awkward folks. I mean, I don't know if you want to put a finer point on that if, if necessary, but... Oh, you want me to tell you how awkward I was? Yes, I kind of do. <laughs> I, that's kind of what I was inching towards, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, all right. So I think, um, look, I'm an Indian guy. Indian people are not raised to be the most uh, rico suave with the ladies. And, uh, just you know, suave? Yeah, you know, like, okay, look, for, for, for Indian guys and for a lot of Asian guys in particular, you focus on your mind you hit the books. And, you know, I was really good at spelling. Like I can beat any of you in a spelling bee. Okay. But 
I didn't learn a lot of the other things that a lot of my friends seemed to get naturally. I didn't learn about the, the importance of eating right and fitness and working out. I didn't learn that until my mid-20s. I didn't learn about you know talking to girls for a long time. And also just being socially fluent and socially skilled, that was a, a challenge for me. Um, and especially when you're surrounded with other people who are really focused on hitting the books and getting great grades, that becomes a value to you. And I have to say, it worked out well because my grades were good, I got into a good school, and I learned a ton. I honor my education and, and respect all the people who taught me what I learned. But at a certain point in my uh, early 20s, I kind of started to take stock of what was going on. And one of the things I like to do is talk to people who are 10 years older than me. Because you can see your future in them. And I think it shows a lot of wisdom to be humble enough to ask people older than you, hey, what do you wish you'd known when you were 23? Um, what are some of the things that changed as you turned 33 or 43? And I didn't dismiss what they told me as like, oh, this guy's so different than me. He's so stupid. I'll never do that. I actually said, I'm probably going to do exactly what this person is doing unless I make a change. And so what I learned was, number one, as you get older and as you get more advanced in your career, your technical skills matter less and your social skills matter relatively more. Just to give you an example, if you're an analyst, um, you know, you need to be really good at Excel when you start. It's a very transactional skill. As you get a little bit more sophisticated, you need to get better at your analytical judgment and the way you present your data. But as you get really advanced, you need to be able to talk to your other team members and stakeholders and understand what is the political meaning of this data? Um, how do I make sure that I'm answering what everyone needs and persuade them? All those things. That's communication. That's the stuff that in college people used to laugh. Oh, you're taking a communications class? That's for stupid jocks. <laughs> that stuff is actually the stuff I use every single day. And so I learned that I better get better at my social skills because my technical skills are going to grow. It just happens, right? It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's like you're riding that wave. So check the box, get good, move on. But if I didn't make a special effort to get good at some of this other stuff, then it would never happen. Because it, honestly, if I were to go the default route in my life, I'll be sitting in a, you know, wearing like a Cisco sweatshirt, sitting in a cubicle right now, you know, doing some engineering thing. That would be my default. So I think it's important to ask yourself, what would be your default if you changed nothing? What would be your default? What did your parents point you towards in terms of their values? What do your friends point you towards? You know, for example, you might have a, let's say you decide to work on a project and you stay in on a Friday night. What are your friends going to say? Are they going to say, oh, that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about that. Or they say, hey, dude, stop being such a loser. Just come out with us. You know, think about what are the invisible scripts in your life. For, for me, it's one of, one of many is education is the best possible thing you should do. Um, the more education, the better. And focus on the mind rather than a lot of the other stuff, the body. That's very shallow. Okay. I had to recognize that, first of all, which took years, and then work to overcome that. Anyway, overall, I would say that, um, you know, there was a lot of the classic awkwardness, whether it was social awkwardness or just not having a strong support system 
to try some of these weird things. Like it would have been easy for me to go work at Google, but it was very hard to turn that offer down and go do a startup where I made, you know, $11,000 the first year. <laughs> yeah. So that's tough, but that's what it takes. It, it takes making tough decisions and a lot of uncertainty to sometimes make it to the level that you want to make it to. So a big challenge for everyone listening. First of all, the fact that you're listening to this means you're already light years ahead of most because you're questioning some of the things you've been taught. And then the other thing is recognize that there's a default route that you're probably on. Most of us, by definition, are on the default route. And that's fine. There's no shame in that at all. Not at all. For a lot of us, like that's maybe our career is not the primary value in our life. That's totally fine. But if you decide, you know, I want to improve the way I look or the way I communicate with men or women or my boss, you can do that. That's a skill that you can learn. I had no special abilities in that. Jordan, you didn't either. No. But it's a skill you learn and you can do that. You know, th these are amazing points that are obviously in line with the reason I got into this whole thing in the first place. So when I was in law school, I was really shy and awkward and everything like I was my whole friggin' life. And I went to Wall Street and worked on a, a law firm. And this guy, my quote unquote mentor, which on Wall Street is just some guy who's assigned to you, uh, his name was Dave, and he was never in the office. And I kind of thought that was crappy because all the other summer associates at this firm, they were getting wined and dined by their mentor. Because that point is the mentor just takes you out to like fancy crap every day or every week, sorry, and every summer there's like all kinds of stuff going on. I got none of that. And uh, I was wondering why, and my mentor, Dave, was supposed to be like the man. He was like the highest paid partner. He was so cool. I never even barely knew him, and I felt like I got the shaft. And one day I was trying to impress some girl by bringing her up to my office on Saturday at like 1 o'clock in the morning because you can get up in those skyscrapers with an ID anytime, day or night, to supposedly do work. And I was like, this is going to be so awesome. I rolled up there 1 a.m. on a Saturday, and everyone was in the office Every senior person, mid-level person was in the office, and I, I ran like hell, obviously, because I didn't want any part of that. And on Tuesday, I asked a senior associate what the deal was. Is there a deal closing? What's going on? He said, no, nah, man, we're always there. And that made me think, wait a minute. Dave's never in the office. These guys are in the office on Saturday at 1 a.m. Dave's not even there Wednesday at 1 p.m. So finally, when I caught up with Dave, HR made him take me out for coffee. I asked him why he made more money than everybody else but was never in the office, figuring he had arranged some awesome deal to work from home. And he said, man, I generate all the business for the firm. I literally have more value out there on the golf course, on a cruise ship, at a dinner with an investment banker than I do billing $800 an hour inside this office like everyone else. And he didn't put it so concisely, but that changed the way that I look at work forever because what I noticed was there were partners there who were so technically skilled. They probably billed $1,000 an hour. There were guys in there whose their primary value was billing those hours, and his primary value was out there using people skills to get new business for the firm, million-dollar law deals, because the people skills were so rare. They literally didn't even want him to be in the office, because if he was there, it meant he wasn't leveraging his highest value. That was a cold shower like crazy, because I had gotten that job through a networking connection, because like my friend's friend's roommate worked there, right? And I thought, oh, cool, networking. I didn't even realize that at the very top levels, not only was networking still going on, but it actually was an even higher leverage. It made even more of a difference to have that skill set. That's one of those pivotal moments in life that you can look at and 
I, I see it as you can take it either one of one of three ways. One, you can just dismiss it and ignore it because it is so far out of the realm of what we know that it's just easier to brush it off and say, oh, that guy's an exception. That's so crazy. That's one. Two, you can actively deny it. You can say, well, that's not true. That's BS. And I get a lot of people saying that when I talk about some of the things I talk about, such as routinely helping my students get a $30,000 raise or starting an online business or automating their money to spend less than one hour a month and investing. Oh, Ramit, what a scammer. That's so stupid. Or the third thing is you can kind of lean in. You can put your ear to their gut and you can say, ah, something going on here. I don't understand what, but I know that I need to start paying attention. I call this the seagull theory. And if you think about old sailors, they used to you know, be sailing for a long time. Like Columbus, in fact, he has a diary in 1492. In September, he, in his diary entry, he writes about these birds that he saw. And guess what? These birds are, they only live where there's land. So he knew land was close. Similarly in life, when you hear something like what you just talked about, your boss always out of the office, but is worth more than even the thousand dollar an hour partners. That is where the seagull theory takes place. And the seagull theory describes when you hear something so interesting, you lean in and you say, what's going on here? Is there something more going on here? I see the seagull theory all the time in business and in life. In business, I see people, you know, for example, right now, they'll say stuff like, oh yeah, Ramit Sethi, the personal finance guy. Well, guess what? I haven't written about personal finance in about five plus years. So I'm leaning in, I'm saying, hmm, why is it that they describe me like that? Or for a lot of people in personal life, you might have, like a lot of the guys listening, you know, you might have friends saying stuff like, oh, you're so serious. Well, why is that? Do you dress like an old man? Do you not go to fun things? Maybe you want to be serious sometimes. Maybe you don't. But when you see a seagull, it's kind of a reminder that you're close. There's something going on here. Don't dismiss it. Don't be skeptical of it. Lean in and see if you can hear more of that. Maybe five people say you're serious. You ask them, hey, out of curiosity, why do you say that? They'll be like, oh, well, I mean, look at the way you dress. And all of a sudden, boom. Now you know the problem. Now you know the answer. So I, I think it's really smart of you that you kind of leaned in and listened and said, man, there's something going on here versus many people who would just deny it or ignore it completely. Now back to the show. You know, it's, it's, it's at the time, of course, I didn't think about that at all. The, what I did think about was, and I'll just put this in uncensored terms because that's how we, that's how we roll. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to outwork all these like Indian dudes that are like sleeping under their desk. You can never work it, outwork an Indian guy. Just forget about it. Yeah, totally factual. <laughs> you cannot do it. It cannot be done. And they were like, those people, their whole family life was set up so that if they didn't come home for like five days, their wife wasn't like, you're never home to take care of things. She was like, hell yeah, you're at the office kicking ass. Right. And and meanwhile, every other person in the office, like they're, they didn't even have a wife anymore because she was like, you're never home. I'm just leaving you. And they, they were like, cool, I'll uh, pick my stuff up in a week. You know. What have we concluded from today? First of all, 
Indian guys can outwork every single person in the world. Is there any other conclusion to draw from today? I don't think so. I think that was the main take home. Um, but, you know, when I looked at that, I thought, okay, I cannot outwork them there. I cannot, most likely, I just will not, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not even in love with the idea of being a lawyer in the first place. So there's no reason for me to think that I need to compete on that same plane. And that's why I started focusing and dedicating my whole life to the people skills thing because I realized, wait a second, not only is this a different leverage point that I know I can get good at because no one's even looking at it. It's like nobody even noticed it. Right, everyone's on a bicycle and I'm like, wait, I can just go get a motorbike, but I have to build it. I'm gonna build this motorbike because not only am I gonna catch up, I'm gonna be zooming ahead for the rest of my life. So I started working on that and it was really reassuring to see that not only was that a quote unquote viable path, but that people who had mastered it were crushing everyone else. And to that same point, when the economy hit a massive downturn and nobody was getting any work and the firm eventually ended up going out of business, all those partners that were there on that Saturday night, they got pushed into like early retirement. All those senior associates that were on the cusp of making partner, they just got booted down a couple of rungs, probably had to start over somewhere else or got out of the law game entirely. Meanwhile, Dave, the guy with the massive network, he strolled in to another firm, and I know this because it was at Sirius XM Satellite Radio where I had then gotten a job as a, as a show host, I saw him there and I was like, wait a second, this son of a bitch just walked out of one firm, took his entire book of business, walked into another firm, and probably got a freaking raise, Ramit. Yeah, for everyone, what, what Jordan just talked about is the fact that, yes, your technical skills need to be excellent. They need to be excellent, but that's not enough. On top of that, your social skills are so important. Your ability to connect to people and over time, your personal network is incredibly powerful. All these things we're talking about today are just examples to show you the amount of work that it takes to get there. Notice the lack of discussion about shortcuts. <laughs> Instead, we're like, yeah, this is hard. And if you expect a shortcut, just leave. Close this right now. And you know, go back to reading some random blog about networking that's like, five tips you must master today. It's not about that. Yeah. It's about the beautiful process of getting good at something, then becoming great, and then making sure that you know the people around you. You know, uh, Jordan, we've all heard this uh, phrase, I've got a guy. I've got a guy who can, who's a great tailor. I've got a guy who can help you decorate your apartment. I've got a guy. And I remember one of the early cases where I saw this. I came to New York to intern for a very famous author, and... During one of our meetings, he, there was some check he had to write me, or I don't know what it was. And he said, hang on. And he just called his bookkeeper right then. And he said, can you cut a check to Ramit? Here's his address. Boom. And I just watched that in amazement because, first of all, I didn't know anyone who had a bookkeeper. I didn't even know what a bookkeeper was. <laughs> yeah, like baller status. And then to be able to call someone who picks up the phone and you literally just say, I want this done. And the person knew how to do it. Like there's a lot of infrastructure involved in that. I've got a guy. And I thought to myself, man, there's something going on here. I don't understand what it is, but there's something to this. And I learned as I started, um, you know, trying to do consulting on my own and got a job and all this different stuff. I learned that every person who's successful has a guy. They have multiple guys. It's not that they're trying to show off. He was not trying to show off to me. He couldn't care less about showing off to me. I was a college intern at that point. He needed help to be able to continue to be successful. So for me, 
I'll tell you some of the examples of the people around me that help keep me focused. Um, you know, I have a personal chef um, who delivers food um, three times a week. And that is costly, but it is something that I value. I can afford it. And it keeps me focused on what I do. You know, many people have someone who comes in and helps clean their house or their apartment. Um, I have a nutritionist, a trainer, um, people who help with travel. Why? Why am I telling you this? It's not to show off and say how great I am. It's to say that all of us have people around us that help us. Some are formal, like a chef who I pay. Some are informal. Like when you get stuck with something, you call somebody for some advice. Right. Now, if you're listening to this and you're saying like, I don't have any of that. I don't have somebody I call for advice. Well, then I would recommend that you take a look and say, what is something you're stuck on right now? And who could you call that would give you some advice, some help? I mean, look, take a look at your parents. Your parents have gone through some shit. And when was the last time you called them and legitimately asked for real advice? Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's your college buddy you haven't talked to in two years. I, I think that a lot of us don't ask for help. And we have this dream idea of picking up the phone and dictating terms to someone. Hey, cut this check. Do this thing. But if you can't even ask for help in your personal life, then how are you going to get to the point where you ask for help from a chef, a bookkeeper, uh, an accountant, uh, a personal assistant? So big, big recommendation for everyone is start looking around. Ask for help. People want to help successful people. I can't say that enough. Jordan can tell you that too. Successful people want to help other successful people. What is that? A rising tide lifts all? Lifts all boats, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second because I think that's lost on a lot of people. I get emails like this, and I, which I love saying this because I know that you get the same ones. I don't have to explain with context. Hey, man, sorry to bother you. Um, I know this may or may not be of interest to you. And like the first, second Delete. paragraph are both. Yeah. What they're asking then is, you know, how do I get this attention? How do I make this happen? Whatever their problem might be, it doesn't matter. What people don't realize is in their own workplace, for example, or in their business or in their industry, it's so hard to find good people to work with, good partners, good help, good employees, good anything that if you are the type of person that shows up on time, has attention to detail, I mean, the bar isn't even that high. People in positions above you want you to succeed because not only is it hard for us to find people like that to include in our circle, we can refer you to other people and it makes us look good. Yeah, I agree 100%. Once you're able to to provide that value to the people around you, then of the people around you, I guarantee if you're good, they're going to want to introduce you to more people and more people and more people. And then you can become strategic. So here's, here's an example. If you can add value to the people around you, then they're going to want to introduce you to the people around them and on and on. Now, for a lot of you listening, if, for example, if you wanted to be Jordan's audio engineer, right, let's just say, or create some video for him. If you just emailed him cold, mm, odds are not good that it would work. But what if you emailed him and you said, you know what? I would love to be your video engineer. I know you work with some really talented people. I've helped XYZ. You can click here for the case studies with their before and after videos. And by the way, I actually took a look at your videos and I redid them to show you what I can do for you. Click here. Like that's a 100% guaranteed response from Jordan. Why? Number one, it, it's empathetic. It understands that he's a busy guy. Number two, it shows proof that you can accomplish what you want to claim you can accomplish. And number three, you're not shooting for the moon. You've already helped other people and you've already done the work. 
at this point, it's undeniable that Jordan's going to respond to you and probably that he's going to hire you. That's how you do it. Yeah. I've had people walk in to the office with like the briefcase technique, which we've talked about. I think that might have been what we talked about two and a half years ago or whatever yeah. when you came on last. And I remember going to take a leak and my business partner came in shortly after me to the bathroom and this guy was still sitting at a table. My business partner goes, man, we just, we do not have it in the budget to hire this guy. And I looked at him, but you know, only out of the corner peripheral vision, because when you're taking a leak, you can't look directly at anyone. Everyone knows that. Uh, and I said, dude, we can't afford not to hire this guy. We yeah. we have to literally figure out who else we can cut or what else we can cut or take pay cuts ourselves. We literally need to just figure out where the money is to find this guy. Because this guy showed up and he had already done like the whole outline for the project and already looked at all of the sites and was like, I'll probably get stuck here and then we can fix that with this. And then I know a guy who's really good at this and we can bring him in if we really get stuck. Love it. I don't even think that far ahead half the time. This guy's already done the work. It couldn't have been easier. It was actually impossible for us to not hire this person. I thought that was brilliant. And we'll link to the the ancient Ramit episode that I probably did like on the floor of a uh, of a motel room back in the day where I used to have the studio. You've scaled your business really fast as well, and I want to link to some resources that you've got because I know my listeners who are new or didn't hear that ancient episode back in the day are probably wondering, who is this brilliant man? Uh, recently on the show, and so who's we'll this guy who brags to. about his spelling bee abilities? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he must be he must be one sharp cat, and uh, we'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. A little a little convenient page there for with some resources. But I want to hear about this pitch contest that you and I talked about offline beforehand, because I mean, you've been teaching this stuff for a really long time, and the, when you had a pitch contest, people just totally shat the bed. Well, it, it just goes to show that um, you can say something over and over. And you can kind of nod your head and say, okay, got it, got it. But when push comes to shove, knowing something is very different than doing it. So if you think back to college, you know, you kind of read the notes before the test and you're like, okay, okay, got it, got it. And then you went into the test and you're like, oh my God, I don't know any of this. That's the difference between knowing and doing. So over the last few years, I've taught a lot of people how to start side businesses. I have a program called Earn 1K. I've also launched something recently called Zero to Launch which is if you're interested in creating an online business. And those have been very successful. And so for years and years, I've been telling people different techniques like the briefcase technique that they can use to get clients and to basically communicate in a way that makes it undeniable they're going to get business. Okay? Basically showing people how to do a lot of what we do and I will teach. Yeah. A lot of people say, okay, got it. Cool, cool, Ramit, got it. And so recently I did a pitch contest. I said, I'm setting aside $1,000. And I'm going to award it to the person who sends me the best pitch that can help my personal or professional life. I linked them to my online bookmarks at delicious.com slash Ramit And I said, look, I've written a lot. I've done a lot of interviews. I have over 15,000 bookmarks online. You can go read them. It's up to you to figure out what would help me most and pitch me. So the first round of pitches came in. Oh boy, there was a lot, probably 800 plus. And I mean, look, I'll be respectful of these pitches. They were fucking horrible. They were horrible. I mean, most of the people pitched me something like this. They're like, Ramit, um, your neck is tight. Your stress levels are off the chart. You need the Alexander technique. 
And it turned out they were an Alexander Technique teacher. Like it had nothing to do with me. It was all about them. Uh. So I wrote another email to my list and I said, guys, guys, let me show you some of these pitches and what worked and what didn't. And I really constructively showed them some good pitches and what was good about them and some bad pitches and what didn't work. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you another shot. And so interestingly, a lot of the pitches, some of them made some good promises. Like they were like, you know, I can help you uh, come up with a list of the best spicy Thai food restaurants in New York City. But the difference was nobody showed me. They all told me what they would do, but fewer than five actually showed me. See, guys, it's easy to talk about what you will do. Anyone can talk about that. But what I've learned is like talk is cheap. Who's going to prove it? And so the winner was someone who created a website. It had the same colors as my site. It had inside jokes because they had read my stuff. And it said, you know what, Ramit? I know you've started to travel a little more. I would like to be your travel host in South Africa. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. They had pictures. They're like, I know you like to travel with your parents. So if you'd like to bring your parents, we can accommodate that. And on and on and on. Guess what? I have no interest in going to South Africa. Okay, I've not, I've not planned to go there at all. But this person won. Why? Because she understood what my pain points and hopes, fears, and dreams were. Okay, She's like, oh, I think this guy would have a great time in South Africa. Here's why. She communicated in a way that was super clear. And she showed she didn't tell. She didn't just say, I could take you to South Africa. Da, da, da. She put up a website. She showed me where we would eat, what would happen, where we would go bring friends with you. And it was all custom tailored to me. Instant win. So the key for that, I think when you're pitching someone, whether it is, you know, Hey, Jordan, I want to work with you. Hey, somebody, I want you to come on my podcast. First of all, you got to show proof that you know what you're talking about. Anyone can say anything. You got to prove it. Second, it's helpful if you can prove it like you've helped other people in the past. That's the best kind of proof. And then third, be empathetic. Um, had she created like a 15 minute YouTube video, I likely wouldn't have watched that, but a website that looked like my website with my colors and that had language that spoke to me instant win. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are, are incapable well, or think they're incapable of showing it because they're not even thinking about it, right? They're only thinking about their needs and this happens, this permeates every aspect of business. But if, if we're going to sit here and say, give value and then explain how to do that, because I hate non-actionable advice. I, I want to punch babies in the face when I hear, just give value, because yeah. uh, it doesn't mean anything. But if you can show people and you can do half the work, you freaking nailed it. And I know we've gone a really long time, man. I really appreciate your time. This stuff is absolute money, and the audience will get a ton out of this. Of course, uh, I hope that there's a lot of bonus in this for your peeps as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I love this stuff. I feel like there's so much potential in the people that, listen to your uh, podcast and the people that read my stuff and, and just all these people that are out on self-development sites. I love it. I love them because they're already deciding not to go with the default. And they're like, I want to improve myself. So I have a huge soft spot for the underdog. I always root for the underdog because I was the underdog. In many ways, I am the underdog. And I just love people who say, I'm going to make it a priority to change my life. You know, for me, I hear some of the sayings that are thrown around by frustrated people. Like if you go on Reddit, there's a lot of people, they complain like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
And my response to that is, yeah. Yeah. So you better learn how to meet more people. Instead of just getting angry about the way the world is, learn the system and beat the system. That's what you do. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm not the kind of person that could network. I hate selling myself. Well, there the invisible script is only naturals know how to network. I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. The, the real winners are going to say, that's a skill I don't yet have. I'm going to learn it. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to learn it. So I, I feel like if you're, if you're listening to this, you're already a step ahead, but it's only one thing to listen. It's another thing to go out there and say, how am I going to help the people around me right now? Yeah. How am I going to show them, not tell them? Well, you know? when I first made that exact same decision, when I first looked at that, and by the way, the it's not what you know, but who you know, I say thank goodness for that because it goes back to being able to outwork the Indian guy who sleeps under his desk. Not going to happen. I'm glad that it's not my technical skill because I'm never going to be the best real estate lawyer in the world. That was what I, I knew that right then. But I did know that I could create an, a hell of a network if I just applied myself to do it. And I went out alone for months. You know how ridiculously humiliating that is to go out alone and stand at a bar and be like, I don't even know what to do right now for That's months. That's my worst nightmare. And I did that in... I met AJ, who's my now business partner and oft co-host on this show on the Art of Charm podcast, and he was really good with girls, but he wasn't any better with like regular old interactions than I was, especially without alcohol. It was the worst. And so I don't even want to hear uh, people are like, oh, it's going to be awkward. The way I got around that, the, the way I stopped hiding was I made it impossible for myself to hide, and I wore a kangaroo suit to a bar for 10 days. <laughs> And so, because when you're doing that, people are like, oh, of course you get attention in a kangaroo suit. That's the idea, right? Is I knew that I could not, even if I stood in the corner with a drink, swirling it around, stirring it, I'm wearing a kangaroo suit. People are going to come talk to me and then I will be forced to interact with them. And I did that until I could finally shed, no pun intended, the suit and get, just make myself do it. And that's how I broke myself of that. And if you don't think that's painful, then man, you need to get a kangaroo suit. Yeah, love it. So key takeaways, get a kangaroo suit. Stop messing around. Just go out and get a kangaroo suit, okay? And if you do that, you're going to be successful. Yeah. I mean, how much more can we tell you? Yeah. Kangaroo suit it is. You'll never outwork the Indian guy, so you oh, need yeah. a kangaroo suit. <laughs> um, for, for anyone who is curious to learn a little bit more about you know some of the stuff we've done at I Will Teach, we set up a site, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash Art of Charm. Uh, and if you guys are interested there, I think you will really enjoy some of the techniques and tactics that we made available uh, to you right on that site. Absolutely. And again, that'll be linked up in the show notes along with uh, a few choice articles that I think people will love. You've got a ton of content up there, so I'm excited to hear the reaction from this. As always, much pleasure, man. I very much appreciate your time. I really think this is going to go over well. And uh, very rarely do you get somebody who's out there doing who doesn't just say like, ah, put yourself out there, you know, and all the other things that I don't even allow on the Art of Charm podcast. Well, thank you very much. Hey, listen, it's always a pleasure to come and talk to you and to your listeners. I really enjoy it. Interesting show. So awesome. I love talking to Ramit. Such a good guy. Super smart. Obviously super sharp. And what can I say? He's one of them hardworking Indian dudes that you just can't outgrind. Good thing I've got the social skills to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Love you, Ramit. Anyway, show feedback, guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know. Jordan at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Ramit on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. 
boot camp live program details for The Art of Charm at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Remember to subscribe to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm slash iPhone and slash Android as well. Write us a review. I will love you forever, among other things. And special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm podcast. Please go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. Podcast.com.